thought uh, had a bit in the service today, so far, so I thought I'd give you some warm-up with um, a bit of crowd survey. So if I could um, get a show of hands, who here would like to be more mature in their faith? Who would like to grow to be more like Jesus? Hands up. So now I can see who I need to wake up and who's already awake. That's good. Um, maybe another question then. Put your hand up if you think the most effective way that you can become more like Jesus, the most effective way that you can mature in your faith is by living an easy, carefree, comfortable and safe life. Put your hand up if, if that's what you think. So I'm, not, I'm seeing we've got consensus there. Um, Brendan, you didn't put your hand up, why not? What? I think that we love God, we want to follow his son Jesus and gives us the hard yards and he calls us to do the same. Yep. So the point there is, of course, that most of us recognise that um, trial is good for us, temptation is good for us, but it's very difficult when you're in the car crusher of trials, when you're in the vice grips of temptation, to have the right attitude towards suffering, towards temptation and trial. Uh, I think trial and temptation is a quite a deeply personal topic for us. If I look around the room, how many of you do I know your struggles with temptation? Very few. How many of you do I know your full background in terms of the trials and difficulties you've faced? Um, some of you I have a little bit of an idea, most of you I don't. Um, I thought I'd just share one personal trial for me which was that the first three years of our marriage um, was incredibly difficult for, for Mariana and I. Um, we, we struggled immensely, full of despair, we had some counselling. Uh, it was just in general a very difficult time for us and I know what it is to be lying face down on the floor crying, uh, begging God for wisdom, begging God to help him with my trial, with my temptation. But I don't know your trials, I don't know your temptations um, and so as I, as I speak this morning from James chapter 1, we're going to be looking at trials and temptations. If I come across glib or that I don't know your particular struggle right now, it's because I don't know your particular struggle right now and I don't know that some of you might be going through the ringer. But as we study this passage um, I hope it is a blessing to all of us in whatever trials or temptations you're facing. So if you can turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. Last week Rob gave us a, a great introduction to the book of James. We've just started a six-week series in James. Uh, today we're reading from verse 2 to verse 18. So we'll work our way through. I've called my talk today Four Truths about trials and temptations. James is writing to a scattered group of Christians and they've been forced out by the persecution that arose after the stoning of Stephen. So think of people who've been forced from their homes, forced from their livelihoods. They now find themselves in strange places. James writes to them about the trials and temptations they face. And he says this in James chapter 1 verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the first 
truth about trial and temptation that I think James gives his listeners is that God is at work. The first truth when you're in trial and temptation is that God is at work. There's a few Greek words here that I'd just like to briefly talk about. So when James says when you face trials, that word face, um, some translations say fall into, it's a word that means fall into and be encompassed by. So think about falling into a swimming pool, uh, being encompassed by water. This is what James is talking about. When trials come all around you, ambush you like bandits and when he uses the word, the Greek word for trial there, it's actually this same Greek word as temptation. So the Greek word has two nuances. One is a test that proves your um, sound and right and the other one is a negative way and that is when we're tempted and fall. So later in the chapter, verse 13, James talks about when tempted, it's the same word as we have here that's translated trials. So in general this chapter, trials and temptation, quite interchangeable. The other word here that I want to briefly touch on is in verse 3. James says the testing of your faith. That word testing is not um, like an exam put up to the, put to the test. It's the word that describes what happens when metal is put in a, into a furnace and you can remove the impurities from the molten metal. So this is a testing, a refining, a smelting. James is saying because you know that the refining of your faith, the smelting of your faith, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So God is at work. When um, Bill and Gwen, I loved Rob when you shared about um, some of those trials if you like that um, Bill and Gwen Bill and Gwen went through. Um, I look at two beautiful people like Bill and Gwen and I've loved them ever since I've been at this church and they've been great um, to get to know them a little. It's no surprise to me that they went through some trials and uh, temptations in their life. They've come come through them and as a result are more beautiful people. Uh, I think you'd agree with me that if you think about the most beautiful people you know, the most beautiful Christians and the most mature Christians they've gone through some hard knocks. It's very rare that you'll find someone who's had this amazing, carefree, cruisy life and they turn out to be um, a gem in terms of their maturity and wisdom. So the first truth, God is at work. And for James, his listeners had been going through, obviously, persecution and they had the usual troubles in life that we might face but in our context we're not persecuted or scattered necessarily. What might the trials and temptations of life be for us that God can use to refine our faith, to test our faith? Well perhaps our security and comfort is tied to our bank balance. If so, going through some serious financial hardship might be the way that God can teach us to rely on him instead. Perhaps we're overly confident in our own wisdom and character. Some relationship troubles or a messy um, breakup, etc. Some friction with a family member might be able to show us that, hey, we're not as amazing as we thought we were. Maybe we're drifting through life with no real sense of urgency or purpose. An unexpected death or serious injury 
can remind us of what is truly important. And I've found these examples are some that I've generalised but from my own experience these are the sort of things that have helped me um, refocus and grow in my faith. Again, I don't know what your trials, what your temptations are but know that God is not afraid of trial and temptation. God is not confused by it or unaware of what you're going through and he wants to use that trial and tribulation to make you stronger, to grow you in faith, to make you more complete and more whole. We read earlier in the service from 2 Corinthians 11 this amazing list of what the Apostle Paul had been through. Shipwrecked, floating around in the sea for a night and a day. Um, Five times he received 39 lashes with the cat of nine tails. He's been stoned. He's been constantly beaten with rods and persecuted. I imagine if you went to Paul towards the end of his life and said, you know what, I'm not going to buy my tent from you because you're a Christian, ha, ha, ha. I think he'd say, you know what, take off the shirt. It doesn't worry me, you know. Those testing of his faith, the incredible pain and suffering that he went through made his faith more real by the moment. So when we read Philippians 4 and Paul's in jail at the end of his life and he writes, I've learned to be content in all things um, Christ, it's Christ who gives me strength I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength it's not coming from this head knowledge it's coming from a lifetime of hard knocks where he's seen that God is his strength that God gives him wisdom that God uh, helps him when he's got thorns in the flesh that God helps him uh, when he's in danger and I think this is the, the same story that we get throughout the whole Bible Um, we see that all the heroes of faith were tested, tried and came out the other side more mature uh, and trusting in God more as a result. I think the final example of this first point, God is always at work and uh, in trials and temptation and, and the encouragement for us to have perspective in trials and temptation is Jesus himself. In Hebrews 12 too we read, For the joy set before Jesus... He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. And that set before means in the sight of. So in a sense you could say um, Jesus endured the cross because he could see the joy at the end of the tunnel. Jesus didn't enjoy the cross. We're not called to to, um, paste on a smile and be cheery uh, when we're going through some of the crushing experiences of life. But Jesus saw the great joy. He saw his exaltation at the right hand of God. He saw that it is finished and it was able to give him um, a sense of rejoicing and joy in obedience to the Father. And we read in in, um, Hebrews that he learned obedience through his suffering on the cross. Sorry, Philippians 2. Um, So that's the first point. God is always at work and we can take that any time we face trials and temptations. The second point that James reminds his readers about, uh, the second truth, if you like, of of trials and temptations comes from verses 9 to 12 and it is, don't compare your trials and temptations to others. So let's read verses 9 to 12 together. 
Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And James here ties this back to verse 4. James reminds us that you can be a poor man but lack nothing or you can be a rich man that lacks everything that's important. And so in the first few verses James said if you persist in trusting in Christ through trial, through temptation, he is making you more complete in him. He will eventually make you perfect and complete in him. After a lifetime of trial and temptation, trusting him and ultimately going into glory with him. But a rich man can have all the wealth in the world and end his life in spiritual poverty. How much money does it take to cleanse your soul from the guilt of a single sin? Money can't buy peace in the soul. It can't buy the fruit of the spirit. It can't buy spiritual maturity. According to James, this only comes through patient endurance and trusting God in the trials of life. So riches can insulate us from some of life's trials. The rich can afford medical bills, surgery, specialists, expensive medicine. They could buy their education, doesn't worry about, not have to worry about their enter scores. Um, they can get priority treatment and basically fly first class through life. But when it really matters, the maturity and their relationship with Christ, money won't help them. And when they die and are left with nothing and can take no wealth with them, uh, death will be the great leveller, James says, and the humiliation of realising their riches count for nothing before God. In fact, riches bring about a whole raft of temptations of their own. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and certainly all kinds of temptation. Temptations to be selfish, to be proud, to prioritise wealth over God. Temptations to be self-sufficient, self-dependent and live with God just as a tack-on to a a nice middle-class life rather than the centre of your life. So James says he realises his audiences are poor. Um, Later in the book he talks about rich people a few other times and they they don't get a very good rap. Um, They're oppressing God's people in the book of James and they're hoarding their wealth and not using it well. But he says, don't look at the apparent carefree nature of the rich when you're under trial. Um, Firstly, what have they got in terms of true wealth, in terms of spiritual maturity? And secondly, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know the temptations that come with rich. I often think rich people are more stressed and unhappy than most of us Um, and I'm actually a rich person like by global standards, so... um, but rich people are always people who've got more money than us, right? Um, but James says here, don't compare. It's futile when you're in a trial and temptation to look at someone else who seems to be living the dream, carefree, not a problem and go, why, why me? Why is life ganging up on me? James says, don't do that. Think forward to the joy of your eternal reward. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial 
because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There's a crown of life for everyone who perseveres through trials and, and maintains their trust in Christ. So our second, our second truth for temptation and trial, don't compare your trials with others. Third truth is there is no one to blame. So let's read verses 13 to 15 together. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, after learning that God can use trials and temptations to mature our faith, a logical extension might be, well, all trials and temptations are sent directly from God to me. God is the author or the source of all trial and temptation if he's the one that is maturing it. Uh, sorry, is he, he's the one that's using it um, for our good. But that's not true. Um, and I think James is possibly even countering a limited... Um, or countering the religious ideas of the time. My limited understanding of Greek mythology is basically you had the, the Greek pantheon um, sitting up in heaven just using earth and the people on it as their giant chessboard to ruin and trash and tempt and destroy at will depending on who was arguing with who in the Greek pantheon. And so James says, no, this is a completely wrong idea. God isn't vindictive. God isn't out to get you. God isn't singling you out and taking pleasure in your demise, in your temptation, in your trial, in your hardship, in your pain. No, um, God is good uh, and we find more about that in the later of the chapter but he says predominantly sources of temptation come from two, two sources. The first source is our own sinful nature and the sinful desires of our heart. We can be tempted in church right now. We can be tempted while reading the Bible or at any other time. We can be tempted when we're emotionally up. We can be tempted when we're emotionally down. Certainly there are times when we might be weak at a temptation and for, for me that might be different than it is for you. It might be when we're hungry, when we're lonely, when we're tired, when we're feeling rejected or depressed. The reality is though that temptation can hit us any time and hit any one of us at any time and that we're not strong. Um, we're prone to be overcome by temptation and we should realise when temptation is knocking at our door and, and not be arrogant about it but be aware. So that's the first source, our own internal desires. The second source of temptation is really external circumstances and trials that come our way and in our response to them. So... We can be tempted to give up as a result of our external circumstances. We can be tempted to take matters into our own hands and seek vengeance. We can be treated, tempted to treat others poorly. Someone else may persecute us, may treat us unfairly, lose their temper with us. As a result, we're tempted to respond accordingly. And both of these things really boil down to our desires. So, for example, someone blames me unfairly at work. I work in an office environment. My, de my desire to be respected combined with self-righteousness might tempt me to seek 
revenge or belittle them in some way or bring shame on them. But it wasn't them making me do anything. It was me in my own desires acting out uh, in a sinful way. Another example, maybe my, this is hypothetical, um, my spouse is tired and a bit grumpy, um, speaks to me in a sharp tone. You're allowed to do that when you're pregnant. Um, my desire to be loved and treated well might tempt me to arc up and speak back in a hard tone. But it wasn't my spouse that made me speak angrily. It was my own internal desires, thinking I'm the king and should be treated well, um, and my own self-righteousness that, that caused me to give in to that temptation. So James says, don't play the blame game. When you're, when you're tempted, own up. It's your responsibility. It's always our responsibility to respond to our circumstances, to respond to the actions of others in the right way. We can't blame. And so I think if you look at, say, domestic violence in Australia, you find um, most commonly it's men against women, for example, and you'll often find these cop-out excuses from the men saying, oh, she said this to me or she did this to me or so I hit her. And it's just a load of rubbish, isn't it? As men, as women, we're responsible for our own actions. We are the ones that have to deal with temptation that comes our way. Other people may hurt us, may have wronged us. It doesn't give us any excuse, any reason to blame them for our subsequent actions. So there's no one to blame. Not God, James says, not your family, not people around you, not your enemy. You can trace all temptations in your response to them back to your own sinful desires. And I think when it comes to temptation uh, and how we deal with them, I think we sometimes run around with a mop, mopping up the flood water while the tap is still turned on at the wall. And so, for example, an issue with greed needs to be addressed at the heart. You're not content with God, you're pursuing your satisfaction in in indulgence or self-pleasure. That's a heart issue. An issue with body image needs to be addressed in the heart. The craving of, of acceptance and worth that only God can fill. If you're trying to find that somewhere else, it's a heart issue. An issue with pornography needs to be addressed in the heart. You need to confess seeking your own fulfilment and desires outside of God's plan for how those desires can be satisfied. So to go back to this mop analogy, we can still use a mop. Uh, The person struggling with greed might pre-eat before they come to the luncheon today so that they're not tempted to pig out. The person with body image issues might set their fashion mags on fire. Maybe that's a, a good approach for them to do get the mop out and the person with a a porn addiction might cancel their internet connection or they might get a trusted friend to put a filter system on their computer. This is the mop but we need to realise, James says, that the heart issue is what needs to be addressed. Um, Temptation comes from within. It's only later down the track that it turns into death and if we're sitting at the death stage going, how did this happen? We can always go back, line of sight, to the temptation And this is in large temptations in life, this is in small temptations in life. Sometimes I might find myself saying something um, to Maz that I shouldn't or in a tone that I shouldn't. I might be able to trace it back hours in the day when I had frustration with someone else at work and didn't deal with it well. So um, we need to be aware of the desires in our hearts 
and bring them to God accordingly so that we can be successful over temptation. The third truth about trial and temptation that James makes is there is no one to blame. We are responsible to deal with our own temptations and they come from within our own hearts. So this brings us to our final um, truth of temptation and that is that God is good. When you face trial and temptation, God is good. Some people um, may have lived a Christian life or been involved with church for years and years and I've known people like this. A time of testing and trial comes or suffering, they lose someone they love to cancer or some other illness and all of a sudden they don't think they can trust God anymore. God, if God loved me, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. So James says to his audience, I know you're scattered all over the place. I know you're doing it really tough. Some of you are living in poverty. Some of you are being dragged uh, into court. Some of you are being persecuted um, and experiencing physical violence against you and your families. But God is good. We see that in 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without, without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. See, none of us have a perfect record in trials and temptations. None of us have come out completely unscathed in our lives to date. None of us are yet at the point where we can say, I'm mature and complete, I lack nothing. James reminds us in verse 5 that God is both generous and realistic. God doesn't chide you and say, you should have known better. He doesn't rub it in and feel it and say, oh, I can't believe you fell for that again. We might be tempted to think in our temptation that um, I've been here before. I've confessed this before. I've asked for wisdom before. I'm sure God's run out of time for me. There's, you know, why is he going to care for me again? But here James encourages us that we should come to God because he gives generously to anyone who asks for wisdom without finding fault. He doesn't have the sort of attitude that I might have towards my kids, like if they spilled their water for the 20th time in a meal, I start to lose patience. But God says, you're coming for wisdom, I'll give you wisdom and he doesn't have the the sinful approach that we might have. So know that God gives generously Know that he doesn't um, reproach you or find fault when you ask for wisdom. Of course, we need to believe that he has the wisdom we need. We need to believe that he is the solution. If we're going to God praying, um, God, give me wisdom um, to help me in my relationship and then we're going off and reading some self-help book and doing our own thing and saying, well, whatever God says, I know this is what I want to do. I know I need to divorce my husband because he doesn't make me happy. Um, And we might find something from God's word or some wisdom from God that we don't agree with 
if that's our position, that we're coming to temptation and God's giving us an answer we don't like, so that when we pray for wisdom we're not really wanting it, James says we've got two heads. He calls it double-mindedness, but the Greek word is basically two-spirited, two minds. He's saying on one hand you're, claiming for, you're asking for God's wisdom, you're asking for help. On the other hand you're saying, you know what, I don't really need it, I can do it on my own. James says if you're in that position you can't expect wisdom. But otherwise, if you're genuinely seeking wisdom and genuinely believe that um, God's wisdom is what what you need when you come to him, he will give it to you generously without fault. God is good. Uh, We see that also in verses 16 to 18. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, James says. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. We are sometimes close to God, sometimes we're far away, but God is constant. He is unchanging. There's no hint of fickleness to him. It's not one day we come to God who's generous and kind, the next day we come and he says, sorry, I'm too busy. Um, There's not a sense that one day we're under temptation God delivered us and we feel a real sense of victory and the next day when we fail we say, well, where were you today, God? Because he is the one that's constant. It's only us that is changing. James uses an interesting expression. He calls God the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And I think this is interesting because sometimes when we're in the midst of temptation we can be really confused by the complexity of our sin, the complexity of our relationships, by the grey areas and black areas of our sinful desires. Is this me? Is this not? And by the difficulties of temptation and trial. You see, God is not subject to that confusion. He never has ambiguity about what the right and wrong is. He is the father of lights and can shine his light into every single pocket of our life if we'll let him. Sometimes when you're being tempted, if your experience is like mine, temptation is complex. You want to be victorious. Um, You don't know how much of it's your sinful nature interacting, how much you're in the right or in the wrong. Sometimes it's nice to know that God is not in that confusion with you in the sense that he's not confused about the situation. When we were having our marriage difficulties, I was at my wits end. So years of listening to Focus on the Family every night, it's helping me, not at all. It's worthless. I don't know how to fix this problem. And so I was forced to say, you know what? God, you're not confused about this. You created marriage. This is your gig. I'm asking you to to give me wisdom. Help me in my trial. Help me understand Help me love, help me do everything you want because you're not confused by this. You know exactly um, what sins we're both bringing to the relationship, what struggles we're having and you know exactly how to help us. So please let your clear biblical wisdom, biblical light come into our relationship and do its work. And So it's a great reminder that God is good. He's the father of lights. All good gifts are from him. He's not this vindictive God showers us with temptation just to crush us for his own fun. Um, He is a good God 
who in his perfect world there was no trial or temptation. As a result of human sin, he now uses human trial and temptation as a key means by which we can mature, by which we can grow. And we can praise him for that, that he is sovereign even over evil, sovereign even over temptation, sovereign even over trial. He's not afraid um, of getting involved in this sin-stained world and using our sin, uh, our trials, our circumstances and the sin of others to actually grow us. So we, we saw in this first chapter, just in summary then, um, James speaking to his audience who was who are struggling with many difficulties in their lives uh, and also with temptation and he gave them four truths. We saw that God is always at work. Never never feel like in your trial and temptation God is not there or if you do feel that, at least have the solid truth and knowledge um, informing your heart that God is at work and that God wants to use your trials, your temptations to actually make you more like Jesus. Know that um, no servant is above their master, that the same suffering and hardship that taught Jesus obedience, God will allow you to experience, to teach you uh, obedience. God is always at work. The second truth that James gave us, don't compare your trials and temptations to others. Don't look at the rich or the carefree or the person next door who's got slightly less issues with your specific temptation and have the woe is me Um, it's unfair complex rather realise that God can mature you can bring you to completion through what he's allowing you to experience and uh, keep your eyes focused on him the author and perfecter of your faith third point there's no one to blame sometimes we're tempted to push all our troubles and trials and temptations onto others and say, you made me angry, you made me do this. Um, If that hadn't happened, I'd be reading my Bible. Um, No, God says our temptations come from our own sinful desires. So let's ask God to help us be aware of of our triggers, help us to be aware of our desires, help us to turn the tap off at the wall rather than just running around with a mop. And finally... Uh, our last point was that God is good. He's not vindictive, he's generous, he's there to help us in trial and temptation. He was tempted in every way as we are uh, but without sin and he's not a remote being who knows nothing about our circumstances but he's one who uh, intercedes for us, prays for us night and day He is standing between God and us to plead our case, to bat for us, if you like, Uh, and he is a compassionate high priest as a result of his own suffering. God is good. He's generous. We can ask for wisdom for the thousandth time on the same temptation and God will generously give it to us. And he is the father of lights. We get sucked into the complexities of our temptations and our struggles and relationship issues and family issues and work issues but God's above that and sees with clarity what needs to happen. We just need to trust in him that in his time and in his time is important um, he will show us.
the way through and mature us if he doesn't show us the way through. The Apostle Paul prayed three times for the the thorn in his flesh to be removed. He obviously wasn't enjoying it, obviously thought he would be maturing just fine without it and God said, no, I'm going to leave you with that thorn in the flesh. My strength is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And uh, we should be no exception. We should allow God to do his work and sometimes it doesn't happen in our timing and we wonder why God hasn't answered our prayers just yet the way we think he should but we can trust him, James says, to work through our trials and temptations to make us more like Jesus. Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, um, I don't know the temptations and trials that everyone here today is facing right now, has been facing, maybe some temptations they've been facing for decades, maybe some that are recent, maybe some trials that have just come up or some ongoing trials that they feel at the very end of their rope that they can't go on. Whatever the situation we find ourselves in this morning, Father, we look to you for strength, for grace, for guidance in our troubles, in our trials and in our temptations. We know that no temptation has come to us except the same old temptations that have been um, coming to humankind for thousands of years. And we know, Father, that you have the resources to keep us strong through every temptation. You always provide a way out. Sometimes in the middle of temptation, that way out is hard to see and we feel like we have no option but to give in. But James reminded us this morning, Father, that there is always a way out and that temptation comes from our own sinful desire. Help us, Father, to recognise those desires. Help us to recognise when we're weak, when we're prone to give in to temptation. Help us to find people that we can be accountable to. I thank you personally, Father, for some of the young blokes uh, at this church that um, I have that relationship with and I pray that as a church we'd get better at uh, holding each other accountable and by being open, transparent, humble, able to share our life journey including the, the, the personal topic of trials and temptations and to support each other better. Dearest Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, your character. Thank you that when you give wisdom you're not like a frustrated parent but that you're generous and gracious. You don't find fault. You're merciful time and time again to us, Father. We don't need to bring guilt to you. Um, You've already dealt with our guilt at the cross. Help us, Lord, to experience the freedom of living in Christ, free of guilt and shame, and to continually come back to you for refreshment in our soul when we do fall to temptation, uh, when we do have the wrong response to trials, when we do lash out, uh, when we do respond inappropriately. Help us to be humble and repentant. Help us to seek forgiveness from those we hurt and from you, Father. We thank you for the book of James. It's so practical, it's so hard-hitting. It really challenges me and I'm sure challenges us um, deep into our hearts, Father. I just pray that this James series will continue to be a blessing to us that we can apply it in our lives, that it can 
enrich us and mature us to be more like your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his precious name that all these things may be given to us.